Really looking forward to what the Lord has for us today. Um, We are, like Dave said, continuing in our series, Delighting in the Trinity. And today we're going to look at the move of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. And I want to just take a second to remind us of why we're doing that, because I needed to be reminded why we're doing this. The reason is um, we celebrate on Christmas usually that like Jesus, the Son, is with us now. We celebrate his arrival. But the reality is that Christmas is about all of God come to us, not just the Son. And my hope is that today, as we read the Christmas story, explore and experience the fullness of God come to us in that story, that that'll open our eyes to how he, all of him, is here with us today in this moment. So um, when we st- we're going to start in just a minute with some background, some like good context, prequel situation stuff. And then we're actually going to read the Christmas story. It's going to be a lot of reading. If you have been feeling like, I don't read the Bible enough. Today, you will not feel that way. (laughs) Um, And then afterwards, um, we're just going to spend some time reflecting, noticing the things that we see the Holy Spirit doing in the Christmas story and considering what his invitation to us is today. So that's our roadmap. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you. God, thank you for technology and resources that even though we are apart this morning, we're together. Thank you that you are with each of us in this room, in our living rooms, in our parks, wherever we are, that you are able to be fully present with us and that today we celebrate that, that we have access to you, that we have intimacy with you, friendship with you. Lord Jesus, would you give me your words? Would you give us your ears? Would you make us sensitive to what you want to say to us? Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, some background. First, some personal background. Um, For those of you who don't know, but I feel like you all do because I feel like I talk about it all the time, I'm Jewish. Um, I, I grew up in a home with two Jewish parents who were the first ones in their Jewish families to come to believe in Jesus. So my parents didn't grow up with Christmas. So I didn't grow up with Christmas. Um, I, we would like Jewish Christmas is Chinese food and movies. That was pretty much my experience. Every now and then we'd make a birthday. We, we believe in Jesus, right? So we'd make a birthday cake for Jesus because it's his birthday. But in Hebrew, Jesus is Yeshua. So it would say like, happy birthday, Yeshua. And Chinese food, cake, movies, Christmas. Um, and I'm pretty happy with that setup. <laughs> but as I have gotten older, I have had the opportunity to explore more of the Christmas story and have gotten to really fall in love with more of it, particularly Advent, which I was embarrassingly old when I realized Advent was a thing. And I still don't like totally understand, like you guys have like the drawers with the treats. Also like this I can work with. This is basically a menorah, but it's like round. <laughs> I, like generally what I do understand about Advent and what I can really get behind is stepping into this waiting, stepping into the waiting of the people of Israel for Messiah. Advent is super Jewish. I'm all about that. Like, let's get into that waiting. But for a second, can we just like stop and remember what is that waiting? What are they waiting for? We talk about waiting a lot when we talk about Advent, but do we know what that's about? So I'm just going to fill that in just in case you were like too afraid to raise your hand and say, no, I don't. Okay, let me help you out. Or let me remind you if you already know. Um, The people of Israel are waiting for Messiah. What does that mean? 
In Zechariah, it says that there'll come a day when the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, there'll be one Lord, his name will be holy. And from Zechariah, we actually have a prayer that is still sung multiple times in services in the Jewish community called the Aleinu. And the Aleinu means it is our duty to praise. And in the Aleinu, we sing, like, we sing all of these things that we are waiting for. We put our hope in you, Adonai, our God, to see the glory of your strength, remove all idols from the earth, completely cut off false gods, repair the world, your holy empire. So when we say we're waiting for Messiah, this captures some of that. We're waiting for everything that's wrong to be made right by God, the rightful king of the entire universe to take his rightful place on the throne. And when the rightful king of all the earth takes his place on the throne, we, his people, will be able to worship him freely. No hindrance, no oppressive governments or rulers telling us what we can and can't do. We'll finally be like fully redeemed to worship our God as we were made to. This, like, this is salvation for the people of Israel to be completely in, uninhabited, uninhibited by the rightful place of their God on his throne, of our God on his throne. That's the waiting we step into. And all through the Old Testament, we have all of these prophets, wonders, signs, deliverance, movements of God pointing us towards affirming that that moment, that salvation is coming. Like just every single thing in the Old, there's everything in the Old Testament pointing to, I've got like God saying like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm, it's coming, it's coming. And then we get to the end of the Old Testament, book of Malachi, and nothing. All of a sudden, all the prophecy, the amazing miracles and signs of deliverance, wonders, silence. And there are 400 years of nothing. That time is it's called the intertestamental period, um, with the exception of Hanukkah, which appropriately timed for today, well, this week, last week, um, happens right in the middle of the intertestamental period. There is, and we have like a miracle in Hanukkah. Apart from that, total quiet from God. And the people of Israel left to kind of say like, yeah, yeah maybe, <laughs> like, are, are you done? And so what began to happen is that the leaders of the people of Israel, the rabbis, the scribes said, well, clearly God has said all he has to say, and now it is our turn to kind of like do our part. And so they began to, to you know, like work with what do we have? What did God say? How can we live into this? And some of the things that they began to do is they began to notice that in all of our talking about God, writing about God, we had really personified him. We had, you know, talked about like the hand of God, the arm of God, the finger of God. And they said, well, you know, God is God. He doesn't have hands. Like, I have hands. God doesn't have hands. So anytime that, like, a part of, like, his hand, the hand of God was mentioned, it would be removed and say the power of God. Something else they did was oftentimes God was referred to as Hashem, which in Hebrew is the name. And they said, well, God is God. God doesn't have a name. You have a name, Melissa, Bob. God doesn't have names. So we're not going to give him a name. And they changed Hashem to Hamemra. And Hamemra in Aramaic means the word. And so what they did is they began to make, like allow God, give, allow God, give God his rightful place as the divine, powerful, almighty, so much higher and greater than us lowly humans. They like, which that's not wrong, right? Like they began to like really lean into that. Say, yes, like God is this, massive, holy, mighty God, and rather accidentally made him farther and farther and farther away from his people. 
Because as God is holy and bigger and he doesn't have hands and he doesn't have a name, he just gets farther and farther from us. And so for 400 years, the people of Israel sit in silence, distant from the salvation that they've been longing for for generations, from the salvation they've been promised for generations. Sit with that for a second. A lifetime of waiting and God is explicitly far away. That's how we step into the Christmas story. I'm gonna be reading from Luke 1 and 2. I'm gonna skip around a little bit. It's going to be a long time of reading. You might be tempted to zone out, to check your phone, to go refill your coffee. I wanna challenge you to sit on the edge of your seat and listen to God's story and pay attention to his story. Here we go. Starting uh, chapter one, verse five. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as the priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. And, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. I'm skipping down to verse 18. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Skipping down to verse 26. You guys, confession is super dark up here. I can normally see my Bible just fine. Anyway, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled with his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Oh, dark. Do not be afraid, Mary, you have, been found, you have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of God of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, I am a virgin. 
And the the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. And skipping down to verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Skipping down to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, there came, came to circumcise the child and there was going to be, they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one in your relatives who has the name John. And they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child, right? He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Skipping down to verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Chapter two. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So Joseph also went up from the town of Na- so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem the town of David because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. (laughs) But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all peoples. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And skipping down to verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Skipping down to verse 22. We're almost there, guys. 
When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts and where he found the parent, where the parent, when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The word of the Lord. <sighs> you guys still with me? They are. I hope you are. Um, Luke is an incredible author and writes so beautifully of just this like incredible unfolding story. And normally when we talk about the Christmas story, we kind of zoom in on that little chunk in chapter two, right? Pretty much if it fits in the nativity scene on your table, that's what we consider the Christmas story, which by the way, um, our executive director, Dale, would like you to know that if the Magi are in there right now, you should take them out. They don't belong there. They don't come for quite a while, like in a long time. You should actually put them in a drawer on the other side of your house. And in like July, you can put them on your coffee table because that's like more representative of when they would be there. Anyway, um, the Christmas story is typically not what we think of when we think about Elizabeth or Simeon, these kind of other sides. We think of like the radio edits. Mary, Joseph, shepherds, stable, like that's what we can kind of all go to. But it's very interesting to see where we see the Holy Spirit moving in this story. And it's almost like it's in the deep tracks. Like it's on these like side stories that are happening just before and just after the actual birth of Jesus that show us the movement of the Holy Spirit in this story. Now, the Holy Spirit definitely is moving in the nativity. Don't get me wrong, we'll get to that. But to look at these other spaces, I think might open up a little of our perspective. Um, when we start with a Christmas story, we normally start with angels, right? These are kind of like, they begin everything. They come to the shepherds, they come to Mary, they come to Joseph. And it's, it makes a lot of sense that they get a lot of this attention because remember, we're talking about 400 years with no sign or word from God. And then the first thing in 400 years of supernatural anything is an angel shows up, which like, did you notice how every time an angel shows up, the people are gripped with fear. They're terrified. It's not like, oh yay, an angel, sparkly. Like, um, I'll see if I can paint a picture for you. I, I spent many years in camp. That was what I did before I came here. And I love camp. And if you've been to camp, you probably know this feeling of waking up on like, you know, normal day of camp. You kind of like, maybe you brush your teeth. You probably don't. You make your way to like line up and everyone's kind of groggy. And then there's always that person like, megaphone comes out, morning campers, like time to start the day, like this, yep, just that's, I was that person, if you can't tell, I'm the person with the megaphone, getting everyone riled up, time to start the day, this is angels, okay, <laughs> yep, this is angels, they're not like soft and gentle leading you, they are very aggressive, <laughs> big announcement, lots of excitement, terrifying, but this is not how the Holy Spirit works in the Christmas story, where the angels are this like very noticeable and very profound like announcement of things. Um, the Holy Spirit is moving in individuals quietly under the surface. So the first place we see the Holy Spirit move is with Mary. 
And yes, the angel comes and announces, but the angel says, the Holy Spirit is, gonna, is going to overshadow you. And the first thing that we see the Holy Spirit do is reveal life, literally creating life in Mary. And I know that that probably brings up a lot of other questions, naturally. Um, I am not qualified, nor do I have the time to explore them here. But if you do have questions, you should email dave at realitysf.com. Okay. Next, next place we see the Holy Spirit move. Um, Elizabeth, when the angel came to Zechariah, both Zechariah and Mary both get like big angelic announcements. You're having a baby. Um, they respond a little bit differently, a lot differently. But with Elizabeth, what the angel says to Zechariah is your child is actually going to have the Holy Spirit in, in the womb. And so Elizabeth, with her son, who will be John the Baptist, um, who will go on to like be the one who like announces and ushers in the Messiah, um, from the womb, Mary comes to visit her and the baby inside of her leaps with joy. Like John lived into his calling before he was ever born. So you have the Holy Spirit creating, revealing life in Mary and in the same room, revealing joy in Elizabeth and revealing the Messiah from her womb saying, this is it. Like, this is what you've been waiting for. Here's salvation. It's literally in the room. And the Holy Spirit revealing that just to these two women, like getting together to talk about pregnancy and stuff. And then we have Zechariah. And Zechariah, his first response when the angel gave him this announcement, you're having a baby, was like, are you sure? Like, how can I, can I, like, how can I know? And I love Gabriel's response. He's like, I'm Gabriel. I work for God. You can't talk anymore. Like, just like drop the mic. That's it. And so Zechariah has been silenced, not allowed to speak. You lost your privileges. And then when his opportunity for obedience to like live into what God has said and promised him comes and he affirms like, yes, his name is John. His mouth is opened. And what comes next is the Holy Spirit prophesying through him and he has this like incredible like speech that he gives that I'm going to try to read to you, though it's dark. Again, nope, over here. But he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation, just like the prophets said that he would. Salvation from our enemies against all who hate us. He's shown mercy to our ancestors. He's come to free us from the hands of our enemies to enable us to serve him without fear. Like, God, or the Holy Spirit, through Zechariah, like revealing the faithfulness of all of these promises he has made. After 400 years of nothing, that Zechariah finally opens his mouth because he was obedient, and the Holy Spirit through him says, here's, what, like, here's everything I'm doing. Here is my faithfulness. Here is my redemption. Like, I told you I was coming for you. I can't hear, I'm here for you. This, in this moment, it's here, it's happening. And the Holy Spirit revealing that through Zechariah. And then we get to Simeon. And I have such a soft spot for Simeon. I, um, when I was a kid, my father, my father is a pastor and a missionary. And when I was a kid, most holidays, he would do like this reenactment of Simeon telling the Christmas story from his perspective. So like my father would have this like Bible costume with like his tallest, which is a prayer shawl. And he would like kind of come out like, an, like a very old man and like have this Bible accent, which uh, my, da my dad is from the Bronx, so it's like a weird New York Bible accent. But um, I just remember, and like he would like tell the story of like being in the temple and the child came in. And I just remember thinking like, this guy Simeon is like legit. I, this, he waited his whole life to meet this baby. 
uh, on what? He didn't, like, no one, I mean, we don't have any reason to think someone, like, wrote him a signed note saying, this is coming, don't worry. Like, the Holy Spirit had told him, and that was what he lived on. There's a Christian tradition uh, in the Orthodox Church that Simeon was part of the committee that wrote the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. If that's true, Simeon would have been over 200 years old in this moment. 200 years of waiting to see phase, like phase 1A of God's unfolding salvation? He didn't even, like, he wasn't going to get to see the result. He saw, like, the teeniest, tiniest, like, beginning. And Simeon's response when he holds this child, well, okay, even before we get to the response, again, 400 years of silence, right? And in a verse and a half, you have Simeon is righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple. 400 years of nothing and in a verse and a half, this guy's got like every adverb of the Holy Spirit around him. Like the Holy Spirit was not gone for those 400 years. He was quiet, but he was up to something. I think about then this response of Simeon, who holds this baby in his arms and says, I can die now. (laughs) Just like that kind of faithfulness, that kind of belief. And so again, the Holy Spirit revealing in Simeon, salvation, you're holding it in your hands. Here he is, here is salvation. And a lifetime, two lifetimes maybe, of friendship, and company that would walk along with Simeon in 200 years of waiting. Waiting is all over this story. I mean, obviously, like Advent, we talk about waiting a lot, but in each of these little side stories, and and even in the not side story, we see this aspect of waiting. We have Elizabeth and Zachariah waiting for a child. Waiting so long they'd kind of given up on it, right? And then we have Mary, like, waiting for a wedding. Like, we don't talk too much about Mary like, well, I guess we do kind of, but not about like her personhood. Like she had a plan. Like she was on a very normal trajectory for people in her life and her age and a big fat wrench got thrown in that. And if I were Mary, I can imagine being like, this is cool and exciting, but I kind of just want to like get back to my real life, (laughs) get back to my normal life where I can just proceed and have like not have to be this person with all this chaos around me. I mean, I'm not Mary, thank the Lord. Probably wouldn't have done as good a job as she did, but I can imagine that it might've been hard. And then Simeon, waiting to, to see salvation come. And as we look at all of this waiting, we see the Holy Spirit in all of these pockets. And that shouldn't surprise us because this has always been how the Holy Spirit moves, in the waiting. Whether it's in this Christmas story or uh, even at Pentecost, that they were waiting after Jesus ascended, waiting to see what he was going to do. Like 20 minutes ago, when I told you that God's name had been changed to Ha-Memra, the word, that might have made you think, oh, I've heard that somewhere. Yes, in John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the word. That points us to Genesis 1, right? So if you want to flip your Bible there, I'm going to flip my Bible there. Genesis 1, it says, Genesis 1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Whenever there has been silence, 
darkness, maybe even chaos, the Holy Spirit has been no stranger to that space. He sits there, moves there, waiting with us, revealing life, revealing joy, revealing hope, revealing redemption, revealing salvation. The role of of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story is the same as the role of the Holy Spirit from day one to today to the end of this time. But the Holy Spirit walks alongside us, the personal empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to reveal life, to reveal joy, to reveal hope, to reveal redemption, to reveal Messiah, salvation. This is where we see the Holy Spirit in Christmas story. And today, if you feel like you, I'll be like really honest, as I have been working on this this week, I have felt the lowest depths of waiting I could possibly imagine. I just have, I mean, I don't like waiting. Nobody likes waiting. Like, waiting's the worst. But for whatever reason, this week, I felt it. And it is not fun. It is painful. It feels like silence. It feels like distance. It feels completely separate. And as I have sat in that waiting, I have been so comforted by these constant reminders that it was in all of these spaces of waiting that the Holy Spirit was there, moving alongside his people, a friend to them, a comfort to them, enabling them to wait well and be ready for the life and the joy and the peace and the hope that he was bringing. So I think this, as I was preparing this morning, I had the sense that there might be some of us who have this sense of like, well, all this Holy Spirit stuff is like, is great, but that's like for Christians at a certain level. And I'm not like, that's not me. I'm like this kind, I'm like more like the Jesus kind of level of being a Christian, the Holy Spirit level. That's like a new, that is a lie from the enemy. God does not withhold pieces of himself and reserve them for people who achieve certain levels. This is why we focus or study or remember how all of God came on Christmas because all of God always comes when God comes. God always comes with his whole self and to you now, he has come all of himself to you. That'd be, it's like if you had a recipe and it called for like an egg yolk and with an egg in your hand, you said, I don't have an egg yolk. Yeah, you might have to crack the egg, but you've got one. God promises you his Holy Spirit, a friend, a comfort in waiting, waiting to reveal life to you, to encourage you, to bring hope to you. We are all um, in a rough spot this year <laughs> and have been for nine months. Um, it has, we have all like, I, I have never felt like I can so identify with this idea of Advent and waiting in darkness, in silence, um, in quiet, in distance, in isolation, in loneliness. This should feel close for all of us. It is close for all of us. And if you feel like, where is God? Go back to this Christmas story and look at where he was when everyone thought he was silent, distant, and quiet. He was at work. He was moving And in this space today, wherever you are, in your room, on your couch, at a park, in your car, he's with you, deeply desiring to reveal life to you, hope to you, 
joy to you, salvation to you. I'm gonna invite the band back up and as they come up, I want to invite you to respond to this. For wherever you're at, if you are in the place of like, yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit's not really my jam. Yes, he is. <laughs> if you're like, you know, like God has just felt very quiet in the season. Yeah, he has felt quiet in the season. I'm with you. I hear that. I get that. Quiet is not silent. In Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. It's breath. It's not big, flashy megaphone angel. It's breath. And closer than the air in your lungs, like that's the spirit in you. And if he is quiet, that just means sometimes we need to be quiet and listen. So wherever you are, um, I want to invite you to put down what you're holding or to adjust your posture. If you need to stand, if you need to kneel, and I want to invite you to hold your hands open. This is not because like these are magic antennas or because this is like a certain like special trick. Very simply, if someone handed you something, you'd have to put your hand out to take it, right? This is a posture of receiving. And so wherever you are to position yourself to receive, because it is God's desire to extend to you his spirit, his personal empowering presence, his friendship, his company, his comfort, his hope, his joy, his salvation, all of who he is to you, because that's why he came. And I want to invite you to just sit in this posture in quiet for a minute. You put up with like the 12 minutes of reading, you can handle this moment of quiet. And to invite God, ask God, beg God, like Holy Spirit, come be with me. Reveal your life to me, your joy to me, your hope to me. The faith I don't have, reveal that to me. Let's just sit in that for a minute. God, you are a good friend. You are a good father. You are generous and you are kind. And in the darkest, quietest, farthest moment we've ever been from you, you came for us. God, wherever we are in this moment, would you come by the power of your spirit and put your arms around your people? Would you reveal to them your love for them, the life you've extended to them, your joy, your hope, your salvation? God, 
God, thank you that we can celebrate that all of who you are came after us, comes after us, and is with us in this moment, on this day, in this year. And we just praise you and thank you because we don't deserve that. So would you comfort us this morning, God? Be close to us. We thank you. Amen.